0: welcome back to AI Ideas with Graham Culbertson, the show about ideas for AI that sit halfway between poetry and mathematics. This is another shorter episode in the Bits and Bytes series called Kropotkin's Drowning Child. When teaching ethics to any group that is presumed to not understand ethics very well, such as undergraduate students, newly created algorithms, corporate CEOs, ethics teachers tend to use the trolley problem. Briefly, Although you've probably already heard of the trolley problem, the idea is that you can choose between allowing a runaway trolley to kill five people, or actively intervening in some way, usually pulling a lever to shift the trolley to a different track, to kill one person. This is meant to be either a demonstration of philosophical concepts, such as uh, utilitarianism versus rule following, like should you save four lives because that's the greater good, or should you... Refrain from doing anything because you are refusing to take the action of murder. It can also be used to test ethical intuitions. Is it worse to push someone in front of the trolley as opposed to pulling the lever? That sort of thing. It's useful there because, according to both the rules-based philosophy and the utilitarian philosophy, there's no difference between those two actions, but people tend to feel that there's something different. So this is getting us to an intuition. But when you teach it to a group of students, they tend to object to it. Why don't you just shout to the five people to get off the track, they say. Couldn't you just pull the lever and then shove one person out of the way, they ask. Do we even have trolleys anymore? Are trolleys even big enough to kill five people? Are you absolutely sure it's not just going to kill one or two and stop before it kills the other three? They sometimes ask if they can throw themselves in front of the trolley as well. All that is to say, they immediately want to leave the world of a thought experiment and into a more narrative, grounded, I would even say more literary world. When you're teaching this, it's your job to explain to them that they are wrong. The whole point is the abstraction. Which is why the trolley problem is not just useless, but actively harmful. It hurts our understanding of ethics. It's fake. There's no scenario in which this would actually happen. More importantly, people aren't thought experiments and they don't exist in abstraction. People are people and they exist in the world. The trolley problem shows up in Mike Schur's excellent show about ethics. The good place. But when confronted with the trolley problem as a theoretical abstract, the character Michael cannot understand it at all. And then when confronted with it as an actual crisis, he just rejects the premise and goes down one of the roads that my students was talking about. Mike sure got it right in that show. The trolley problem is crap. And it's really just a way for philosophers to explain to ordinary people that ordinary people don't know right from wrong. The most famous version of the trolley problem in the last century or so comes from the philosopher Peter Singer, in which he argues that if there's a child drowning, and you could save that child easily, and all that would happen is that your clothes would get dirty and you'd have to dry clean them or you'd be late to something, you should. Seems intuitive enough. Then he argues that since there are currently starving children in Bangladesh, and you could save them for the same price as dry cleaning your clothes, you should. Wasn't that easy? philosophy solved, life managed. All of you are terrible people, unless you're giving all of your money to the poor, in which case you're perfectly good. Thank you, Peter Singer. Tragically, although also comically, there is an entire branch of charitable giving slash economic thinking slash philosophical thought slash Silicon Valley mumbo jumbo drawn from this thought experiment. They call it effective altruism. As you would expect, since it's drawn from this crap, it is crap. And yes, if you are an effective altruism defender, come at me bro. And I do mean bro because a lot of the effective altruism people are complete bros. Now, to elaborate on that a tiny bit more, Um, One of the most famous exponents of effective algorithm is a crypto-billionaire. Get it? Because if you become a crypto-billionaire, you have lots of money that you can use to feed all those starving children in Bangladesh. So, obviously anyone who isn't a trained philosopher knows that the worst human being in the world is a crypto-billionaire. But this version of philosophy says that the best human being in the world is a crypto billionaire who gives to the correct charities. That's how you know how bad this stuff is. If you are teaching an AI ethics, whatever you do, don't let your AI read Peter Singer. So instead, let's have your AI read Peter Kropotkin. It turns out that Peter Kropotkin, prince of anarchism, expert on glaciers, and evolutionary ethicist, got to the drowning child example almost a century before Singer did. Here's Kropotkin's version. A child is drowning and four men who stand upon the bank, see it struggling in the water. One of them does not stir. He is a partisan of each one for himself. The maxim of the commercial middle-class. This one is a brute and we need not speak of him further. The next one reasons thus. If I save the child, a good report of my action will be made to the ruler of heaven. And the creator will reward me by increasing my flocks and my serfs. And thereupon he plunges into the water. Is he therefore a moral man? Clearly not. He is a shrewd calculator. That is all. The third, who is a utilitarian, reflects thus. Or at least utilitarian philosophers represent him as so reasoning. Pleasures can be classed in two categories, inferior pleasures and higher ones. To save the life of anyone is a superior pleasure, infinitely more intense and more durable than others. Therefore, I will save the child. Admitting that any man ever reasoned thus, would he not be a terrible egotist? And moreover, could we ever be sure that his sophistical brain would not at some given moment cause his will to incline toward an inferior pleasure, that is to say, towards refraining from troubling himself? There remains the fourth individual. This man has been brought up from his childhood to feel himself one with the rest of humanity. From his childhood, he has always regarded men as possessing interests in common. He has accustomed himself to suffer when his neighbors suffer, and to feel happy when everyone around him is happy. Directly, he hears the heart-rending cry of the mother. He leaps into the water, not through reflection, but by instinct. And when she thanks him for saving her child, he says, What have I done to deserve thanks, my good woman? I am happy to see you happy. I have acted from natural impulse and could not do otherwise. So the first three people are all philosophers. They all have a philosophy. The first one is a commercial philosopher, believer in a survival of the fittest and laissez-faire. And he lets the kid drown because there's no money in it for him. The second one is a religious philosopher. And he saves the kid based on the idea that, hey, I'll get rewarded in heaven. Third is a Peter Singer-style utilitarian thinker. And he reasons that the displeasure of getting his clothes dirty is less than the pleasure of saving a life. Although Kropotkin points out that he could have reasoned differently if he wanted to. What if this guy really, really, really loved his clothes? Then actually, he could argue that having his clothes makes him happier than having this kid in the world. We might think he's wrong, but how can we prove that he's wrong? Then there's the fourth man, the neighborly man, who Kropotkin associates with, ethics of the village, and the working classes. He doesn't seem to be a philosopher at all. Back to Kropotkin. You recognize in this case the truly moral man, and feel that the others are only egotists in comparison with him. The whole anarchist morality is represented in this example. It is the morality of a people which does not look for the sun at midnight, a morality without compulsion or authority, a morality of habit. Let us create circumstances in which man shall not be led to deceive nor exploit others. And then by the very force of things, the moral level of humanity will rise to a height hitherto unknown. Men are certainly not to be moralized by teaching them a moral catechism. Tribunals and prisons do not diminish vice. They pour it over society in floods. Men are to be moralized only by placing them in a position which shall contribute to develop in them those habits which are social and to weaken those which are not so. A morality which has become instinctive is the true morality, the only morality which endures while religions and systems of philosophy pass away. Okay, Kropotkin says, let's create a morality of habit. Habit as a morality? This is a scandalous acclaim when Kropotkin made it as when Rorty made it in the late 20th century. But it's true. Morality is nothing but a habit. Rorty calls it prudence. And then that habit is expanded and enlarged to the community around you, suffering when others suffer and being happy when others are happy. Morality is thus a natural impulse for someone who has grown up in a community. Could you teach an AI to be moral that way? I don't know, but you do need to try. Just imagine if you taught an AI to reason the way Peter Singer reasons. In fact, movies keep depicting this and uh, those AI are always monsters. If you want an ethical AI, you first have to understand that human ethics isn't rules-based. It isn't outcome-based. It's community-based and habit-based. Kropotkin and Rorty and even Aristotle agree on this community and habit-based sense of ethics. But most of the philosophers I run into, and I'm guessing also most of the machine learning programmers, but I don't really know seem to prefer a more machine-like set of ideals and rules. But if you do it that way, you can end up creating a monster, like a machine that causes the apocalypse because humans aren't good enough, or, you know, a crypto-billionaire. But the good news is, if humans are just learning machines, then artificially created learning machines can eventually learn, can be just like the fourth man in Kropotkin's example. Honestly, I think in my very limited understanding of machine learning, that machine learning is just another way of saying habit formation. Now, for those of you who want to create ethical machines, that's what you've got to do. Inculcate habits of community-based morality. And don't let them read Peter Singer. This has been another edition of Bits and Bytes from AI ideas Please believe in other minds.